0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nice to Meet You. This is your host, Simone, and this is a podcast of conversations with friends and strangers where we talk about life and lessons learned along the way. Today, we have with us Isis, and Isis, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how we met.
1: Okay, so... Um, Let me just start with who I am. I am a creator of IHearThatGirl.com, an empowerment lifestyle site for black women. I'm a black feminist. I am an author, a speaker. And I just really believe in empowering all black women to see the greatness that lies within. And um, I met Simone just looking around for podcasts of color, um, that relate to the same subject matter that I love to speak on and have a conversations about. And that is how, uh, we met each other on, I believe the site that I found your blog on mm-hmm. was podcasting color. I yeah. Believe. Yeah, I um, and I found you there. I listened and I was like, you know what? This is cool. Like that's, <laughs> that's what I love to do. I love to conversate. I love to, um, you know, Do girl talk, sister girl talk. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like this would be a place where I could genuinely express, you know, the things that I'm passionate about and have some good conversation in the meantime.
0: Okay, cool. (laughs) So where are you from?
1: (laughs) I am actually from South Carolina. Okay. And I reside in Atlanta, Georgia. So um, I moved here about seven years ago. Um, But yeah, I'm a country girl. Mm -hmm. And I am very proud of being a country girl.
0: What made you move to Atlanta?
1: (laughs) Um, Oh, it's, it's really interesting. Um, so I had gone through a divorce. I had been married for about six years and I had gone through a divorce. And so I was ready to make a change, you know, um, in my life. And, um, Atlanta was actually a place that I never, ever wanted to go. Really? And I had planned on going to Charlotte, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. with uh, my cousin who lived there. We had plans. She had her own house. And so I had, like, my U-Haul scheduled and everything. And then I woke up one day, and it was like, this voice, you're going to Atlanta. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what? What? So, yeah, I took those plans and, and, you know, and I was obedient and I went to Atlanta and wow. I moved in with a friend of mine and I've been here ever since. And it's like, I since being here has given me such momentum and mo- motivation in pursuing the things that I love to do. Mm-hmm. But then even more so it's just that sense of faith. Like when you're going on faith, yeah. like that just strengthens you um in such a major way. And it's like I know that voice. When you hear that voice, yeah. you know it. There's no denying, you know, you can't stop and say, Oh, that's just me. No, you know that voice. And um to have experienced that voice blatantly telling me, Okay, you going to Atlanta. Um, I knew I had to be obedient to it. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you ever have doubts like the first like couple weeks or months that you were there, like, did I hear that voice? Right. Or am I here for the right purposes or am I doing the right thing?
1: Never, never, never. Oh, I <laughs> never doubted it because it, it, that voice was just so, you know, you hear it all the time. And people are like, you know, we know the shepherd's voice, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, God's voice. And until you hear it in that way, like I knew I couldn't do anything outside of what that voice. Yeah,
0: to. would have been even Jonah if and the it whale. wasn't
1: where I wanted to go. You know, even yeah. if things got hard, like I, I was like, "Well, I have to do this because regardless if I go another way, I'm still going to end back here." Yeah, because I was told to go. Exactly. So, yeah, that's I never um, Jonah and the whale, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not trying to be thrown overboard because I didn't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, like, yeah, I never, I never doubted it. Things were not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, the whole dealing with the whole mental aspect of, um, healing from the trauma of divorce, yeah. um, would make you say, okay, was I running? Um, but I knew for a fact I wasn't running. Um, but I believe like the, I actually believe that me moving to Charlotte was me running. Yeah. And, like trying to get away from the situation. And instead, the the transition to Atlanta was me facing the demons and, um, you know, really being, uh, acting on faith. Mm-hmm. Really acting on faith and that alone. And so I was so focused on my faith and my belief and, and being obedient to what I heard that I didn't even have time to focus on, you know, um, just what I lost. Yeah. You know? That's helpful. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was helpful. And then, of course, once I got, you know, here and settled, I did take that reflect. And um, I'm still learning every day from, the, uh, from that situation and other situations. But that is uh, one of the biggest things that has helped me um, in my career, Mm -hmm. You know, I love Atlanta. I love everything that Atlanta stands for. And just to be surrounded by that energy, there's an energy here Mm -hmm. um, that if you are, if you have a dream, if you have something that you want, um, this is like one of those places that you need to be because that energy is all around. Everybody's trying to do something, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it, it keeps you it keeps you pushing. It keeps you moving
0: forward. Okay. I haven't been there yet, but I feel like it's like one of the... I said this before on the podcast, but it's like one of the black places that you have to go. Like, if you're black in in America, you have to go to Atlanta at least once.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm mean, definitely planning I, my know, trip out there. I really didn't like it, but I, when I got here, I fell in love. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally fell in love. I think what I was... I think my biggest thing about Atlanta was I was going off based on what I saw on television and, you know, just the idea of Atlanta. And um, when I got here, like I said, that energy hit me. It was like everybody's trying to make it. Like everybody has um, a dream and they're pursuing it, Mm -hmm. you know, in the face of so many odds, they're still pursuing it. So when you're surrounded by that and that's what you want you know, you, you don't want to give up. You don't yeah. want to give up, you know? So I love <laughs> Atlanta. I love Absolutely. it. And then there's so many black people here. I love it.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm in so DC and it. there, there, there's some black people here, not as many as there used to be, but you know, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, so what do you find interesting?
1: Interesting in, in general or just interesting in what?
0: Um, just broadly, I guess, like what's kind of the first thing that comes to your mind. I know you've, like, mentioned a couple of different things, like, you know, feminism and Mm -hmm. black women. Well,
1: the most interesting thing um, to me is laughter. I think I observe people, like, all the time, and I find people to be so funny. I think we are hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um, In every little thing that we do, even with the way that we react to people or we react to situations, Mm -hmm. I just find it funny um, even like with some of the whole you know uh, tweets with with uh, your, your president who's president <laughs> <laughs> like even with that I find it hilarious because you know on the one hand yes he says crazy stuff but on the second hand like he has the right to say what he wants to mm-hmm. say and um, I I am a person who loves genuine honesty. I like, I just love it. You know, I feel like we've been kind of conditioned to not be honest. You know,
0: definitely. Um, I mean, as kids, even like yes.
1: Like, one like, thing I, I, think I think we about... coddle people way too much. I think so. Yeah, I just feel like you're not preparing a child. When you, A, give them everything they want or don't want to tell them the truth because you're afraid it will hurt their feelings mm-hmm. because when they enter the world, the world does not care about yeah. your feelings It's just going to be what it is. I'd rather prepare my child for the truth of what, you know, what is life. And life is not going to always give us what we want. Mm -hmm. We have good days. We have bad days. That is life. And I think a lot of times we get so frustrated and aggravated because we're expecting it to be great every day, and that's not it. I think the beauty of living is in the ups and the downs. Yeah. Like cause it's in the down times that I learned so much stuff. Mm-hmm. And it it's am. also in, so I just think that we have a point where we're not allowing people to be honest. And honesty is the spice of life. Now how you use it is a different thing. You know what I'm saying? Um I think everything is based on intention. So if you're being honest with someone with the intent to hurt them, then you will hurt them. Yeah. But you'll also hurt them if you lie to them with the intent to hurt them. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that that's one of my things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you said what interests me. <laughs> <laughs> I took the long way around. But, yes, what interests me are people. I observe people. I love to watch
0: people. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, obviously, I guess what interests me is people, too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, look at at your podcast. That's so cool. Like, um, I have a friend, he has a podcast like that, too. And it's, I think it's the dopest thing when you're having, like, these random conversations with anybody. And you just, in those conversations, what you see is that we're all pretty much the same. Yeah. We're all pretty much the same. So that's the cool
0: thing. Yeah, and it's really interesting, like, how other people help teach you about yourself. And I think that's, like, one of the biggest things, like, from this podcast is just, like, wow, it's, like, it kind of just, like, puts you, like, I guess on sides almost. Like, oh, I either agree with that or I don't agree with that. And, like, that puts me, like, in a stance of, like, okay, well, this is what I actually believe.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, good stuff. I love, it. I, love, I, I love having conversations with people. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I I find people to be so interesting, um, their stories so interesting, because we're all on this little same journey, and we're all trying to figure this thing out, we're trying yeah. to figure life out, right? But everybody goes at it a different way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the things I learned is that if you recognize that everybody has different experiences, different backgrounds, different, different struggles contribute to how they are, then you don't get mad so much anymore yeah. when, you know, people make you mad because you're like, oh, well, you know, they had a different upbringing than I did. Or maybe they, to them, that seems normal, or you know? Yeah. And it just makes it easier not to get so upset and so frustrated. And with not everybody. to waste
0: energy. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, uh, it's all right.
0: So um, in life, what has been like the hardest truth that you had to learn?
1: Mm, The hardest truth that I had to learn was that nothing is stopping me but me. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's the hardest truth because it's like, you know, we say we want stuff and, you know, I want to do this, this and that. And honestly, we can try to point the finger and say, "Oh well, this opportunity wasn't there for me." But at the end of the day, it's you that stops you. Because mm-hmm. if the door is shut, you go to another door, yeah. or you create a door. It's we just we give up a lot. Mm-hmm. We give up a lot, and I know for myself, um, there are days when I'm like, "Why didn't I?" you know, why didn't I complete that goal that I said I had for myself? Why didn't I complete it? Well, girl, because you wanted to sleep in. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact is, you didn't want to give 100%. You gave 70% mm-hmm. yesterday. Like, those are facts. Yeah. And you have to, you know, you have to learn to accept that. And, um, you know, because at one point, I would get depressed about that. and be like, oh, I'm, I'm unproductive. But then I had to check myself and say, ma'am, you're unproductive because you chose to be unproductive. Yeah, exactly. Everything you do is still a choice, and you chose not to do it. At that time, you felt like sleeping or watching TV or woe is me is going to be the better thing for you to do that day, and unfortunately, it cost you that day. You didn't do what you <laughs> needed to do. However, the next day that you realize that is the day that you could choose to do something exactly. about it.
0: that's true. And I think that another thing that I've realized is that, like, there are some things that you think that you want that like you're literally just not willing to put the work in and like you have to realize that like some goals you literally you just don't want you don't actually you don't want <laughs> like there's no intrinsic motivation behind them so
1: exactly like what is it that you want like you really have to be honest with yourself and I know it sometimes we say we want the the lifestyle that we see other people have like a Beyonce lifestyle mm-hmm When Homecoming came out, I was like, I asked everybody, I was like, do y'all really want that? Right. Her life is great, but I don't want that. I'm not trying to work out, you know, to be in the studio that many hours a day or, you know, dancing around, falling, breaking my ankle. I ain't got time for that. I really don't want that life. Mm -hmm. I don't. So I'm okay with being a hundred thousandaire instead of Mm -hmm. (laughs) a trillionaire like she is. all the way to being you know but you gotta put in that kind of effort to get what she's what she has and um if we're honest with ourselves and say like am i cool with am i cool with doing that work then a lot lot of us would be okay with our mcdonald's checks
0: (laughs) (laughs) and like even if you just think about like how she lives her life like she literally cannot step outside the house by herself like (laughs) she can't drive herself anywhere i mean like maybe she can I don't know, like, how that works. But, like, there's so many things that you can't do just because of, like, who you are. Like, of she can't, course. literally, she can't basically have an opinion, it seems like. Or, like, mm-hmm. maybe now she can. But, like, at least in her early career, like, having an opinion could have, right. like, ended her. So
1: Exactly. So, she had to play the game to get to a place where now her voice is her own. But, you know, um, like, that was something that I had to realize when I, I started radio when I was, like, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And I quickly learned, like, the power of your voice, right? And so, you know, when I was on radio, when I first started, it was, like, an independent radio station. And then by the time I was, like, 20, it was corporate now. It was owned by Radio 1. And things were different because now it's, like, it's not just... The person who owns the station or your PD that can tell you, okay, go ahead and play this and yeah. we could choose music. But now it's like this corporation is saying, here's a list, a playlist of songs that you guys are going to play. You're not going to talk about this. You're not going to talk about that. And I just was like, wait a minute. So I can't say how I feel about yeah. something. I remember there was a, a some kind of issue going on um, in... I think it was actually happening here in Atlanta, but it was big news. I can't remember. I think it was a Brian Banks story. I don't remember that. Um, I think, is it? I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, (laughs) it was like a big story. And so, you know, we were, I had stopped the music and I was talking about this issue. And, um... And and I remember my PD came in and he was like, "You can't talk about that. We have sponsors and they don't agree with this." And I was yeah. like, "So just because they don't agree with it, I can't have this conversation?" And it was like, I realized like that moment, you have to own your voice. Mm-hmm. You have to and. Literally, I want to say maybe a year or two later is when I created I Hear That Girl okay. because I knew I needed to have a platform where I could air out my voice. Like I could say what I wanted to say and no one could tell me no. And to this day, like I tell people all the time, young people, when I go to the schools and colleges, to speak to them like your voice is so important um you know we have this handy dandy thing called a cell phone <laughs> in our hands that get that amplifies our voices yeah it gives us a platform before we had to you know go work at a at a radio station so you could have a platform but now you can start your own podcast and have a platform yeah that's your, true. Voice. your voice is so important and powerful mm-hmm. do not let anyone control your voice ever so that's just something I learned with oh that. Word.
0: Okay. <laughs> so how did you get into radio?
1: Um, you chasing after my dreams. Okay. Um, yeah, like I've always been the type of person to chase after what I want. And at the time, um, I wanted to be a Grammy Award winning artist. Mm-hmm. Did not happen. Not my fault. It's the industry's fault. So you but. sing also? <laughs> So, you know, I thought, you know, when I I was 16, I was like, well, I was already out of high school and I didn't want to sit at home. I really, I had had a a record deal and it kind of fell through. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to sit at home. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to college for at least another year because I was waiting on my best friend to graduate from high school. And, And so I was like, let me get a job. And the only job I wanted to do was one that was around music Mm -hmm. because I love music. I figured if I work at the radio station, I could meet some of these record execs or something, you know, and get me closer. And um, so that's how I ended up there. And I walked in and I was like, hey, I don't know how to do anything. I've never had a job before, but if you guys teach me, I'll do it. They gave me a job on the spot on the spot and i asked questions every day yeah i asked questions i went to every department and asked them what they do how much money y'all make how y'all <laughs> it. like seriously by the time i was um 18 and then i was in college i remember one of the guys who was um he worked in production but at the time when I first started there. But by the time I was 18, he had advanced to becoming the PD.
0: Yeah.
1: And so things changed at the station. Um, and he was like, he called and he was like, hey, you know, we need someone to run the boards. We need somebody to do middays. Would you be interested? I'm like, heck yeah. I ain't doing <laughs> nothing that school. You know? So, and that's how I came back. So. Two things I learned in that. Number one, always ask questions. And number two, always be friendly to people because you never know where those people will be. That's true. <laughs> and, that is and, very and, true. and what opportunities they can afford you. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So where did um, I hear that girl come from? I know you just told the story about, like, having your own voice, but, like, what, what, like, were you just, like, sitting down at, like, dinner one day? Or, like, when did the idea come to you?
1: Well, um... Okay, so this was, I was still at the radio station, and I had, like, all of these college interns under me. I think I had, at the most, I had, like, 23 college students. Um, and I would, I had a bunch of girls, and the girls would come in my office, and they would just sit and just talk, you know, yeah. girl talk, and, and they would be talking about their relationships and all this stuff, and I'd turn around, well, they say, Isis, what do you think? And I would, you know, tell them very quickly, you know, give them some advice. And they'd be like, I hit that girl. And, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and so one of those, she was like, you need to write a book one day because I Hit a Girl with All Your Advice in It. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that. And so I also, at the same time, my niece, um, she told me she was like, Nicki Minaj was like a role model. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> like. I said, wait, wait, are you serious? And she was like, yeah, I mean, you know, she's all pretty and stuff. I was like, okay, wait. So that is when I knew I needed to create a place where young black women and black women in general could see a positive reflection of themselves Mm -hmm twenty four seven. So I created the website just to show like those perspectives that there, mass media yeah. was not showing. There are like you other role it,
0: models that you can like go yes, after. Yes,
1: like I okay, I know you see Nikki, but and I and no shade to Nikki. But there's so that's not to me to me Nicki Minaj is not the true reflection of what I see on a day-to-day basis.
0: Especially after the year she's had.
1: <laughs> right. Like, it's just, it's just not. Like, the women that I see around me, the women that I know around me, that I can count on my fingers, they are not a Nicki Minaj. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like they're not given a space in mass media because, you know, well, there are lots of reasons for that, but I'm not going to go into it. There's a lot of propaganda behind <laughs> it. But, um, you know... When, you, when we have our own platforms, then we can put out what we want to put out. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to put those positive perspectives. So... My um my site is not like one of those derogatory or gossip sites. It's only a place where you'll see positivity, mm-hmm. positive reflections of us, yes. um, young and old. Like you need to know that there are women out here who are doctors, lawyers. There are women out here who have their own podcasts. There are women out here who are starting their own jewelry lines, mm-hmm. their own clothing lines, shoe lines. You know, um, there are women out here who own cell phone companies. Like there are tons of us out here we're in tech we're in STEM like we're everywhere but you don't get to see our faces you don't see that and representation is everything it matters so much (laughs) because if she had seen more than just a Nicki Minaj I'm sure that that idea of role model would have been different because my idea of role model was different I didn't see any Nicki Minaj's. You know, I come from the Claire Huxtable you know, <laughs> generation. So, you yeah. know, when we talked about, you know, you know, Claire Huxtable was the type of role models that we saw, Claire Huxtable, Oprah Winfrey's, the Maya Angelou's, you know, those were the people that I saw as role models. We didn't see Nicki Minaj's and Cardi B.
0: Wait, so who so, was your role model growing up? Was it Claire Huxtable? Or...
1: I did. I did love Claire Huxtable, but my major role model was honestly my mom.
0: Okay,
1: I thought she was so dope. But Claire Huxtable was definitely a number two. Mm -hmm. Um, Maya Angelou, I loved Maya Angelou, and Oprah Winfrey has always and forever will be (laughs) my role model. Like I do what I do now because I saw her face. Yeah, like it literally. I remember the day my mom. Brought us into the room and said, "Look, you know." Mm-hmm. And I saw this black woman, and I was like, "She got a TV show." And I we I would watch it faithfully every day, mm-hmm. and I just loved how she grew um, over the span. But just seeing her wield her power behind that microphone and. It, it just blew me away. And I just saw, I knew that I, I didn't know for sure if I would be in media at that time. I just knew I, I had to have a microphone. <laughs> <Word>. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. And yeah, I, I'm in love with Oprah.
0: What do you, what do you think is the magic behind Oprah?
1: I think um, the magic behind Oprah is that she learned to, she learned that um, authenticity uh, trumps Uh, the amount of people who are watching you, um, the amount of success. That's what it is. She learned that authenticity trumps success. Mm -hmm. So her focus when she started was how successful her show could be. And then it changed to, how can I help people with what I have? Like You have to understand that this platform that I have is a tool. Like, and how am I going to utilize it when she did that, when she realized like this platform has power and I can actually use it to help someone. She forgot about the success. The success will come It's out there. And just in being a genuine person who cared about using her platform or how she used her platform to help, I think that's the magic behind Oprah.
0: Mm-hmm. I just actually saw the um, Toni Morrison, rest in peace, um, since she passed away today. But the you when you have power, you use that to empower people, and like that quote, like I feel like I, I hadn't heard that before today, but that's powerful, and I feel like that is essentially like what you should be doing with your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how people get outside of that in general. It's
1: easy easy because, you know, I remember when I started my, when I started, I hear that girl. I remember that uh, a a PR rep told me they wanted me to cover something for like real housewives. Mm -hmm. And I said, no. And I was new. So he was like, you're not going to get far. Like that, because he was like, you know, I mean, you know, you gotta have some kind of scandal on your site. I'm sorry, but that's just, just what you know, okay, you know, because that was it was high time at that point. Now, this is before the transition. Like I said, I hear that girl has been out now for a little over ten years. Oh wow! So, you know, when I first started, it we were high into the gossip sites, and it was just. Uh, I think EXO uh, Nicole, who is now EXO Nicole, was Nicole Bidgey, um before, <laughs> yeah. and they had all those other like like that's all it was. It was like let's let's talk about celebs and let's rip people and tear people down. That's what sites were about. I just refused to do it, and he told me he was like, "Yeah, you're not gonna get far." And I said, "Well, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I know. I know. I might not get a million visitors a day, but." I'm okay because my integrity is good. Yeah, and, and I've had to continue to to you know live by that day by day, and I don't take anything for it because mm-hmm. I knew that this is only going to be temporary, and it's going to change, you know. And now you see that swing towards empowerment. However, with that swing, people have tried to monetize, yeah, to so
0: like replicate like allergic. false authenticity.
1: Yeah, you know, so like I said, authenticity is always going to be the thing that makes you shine. Um, So even right now where there's like a thousand and fourteen different empowerment events and conferences and all this other stuff, I still like, I know that my authenticity, my genuineness, my genuine love to empower black women is evident um, and that will shine through and I wish that more women were less concerned about the money and more concerned about really, you know, trying to uplift our sisters. Mm-hmm. Like if we were really concerned, we could change so much, cause so many people out here saying that they empower people. So if you were really concerned about that, we could change a lot of lives. Yeah. Um, but to your to your point of how do people do that, you know, like it's easy when the money is coming. It's easy. It's easy to just be like, oh, I'll take that money versus, you know, my integrity. My integrity don't pay no bills, you know. Yeah. (laughs) People want that money.
0: (laughs) So what do you think is next for black women? Like, what do you think we need to do, like, as a people to uplift ourselves? I know you said, like, focus on authenticity, but, like, are there, like, certain, like, um things that you're kind of like promoting for black women in order to move us further?
1: Yes. I believe um, number one, black women have, we've got to take that step towards truly advocating for ourselves. Um, I think we've made some, some moves towards that by even with the self care movement, Mm -hmm. I think it is a major pivot because for black women, we care about everybody else except Mm -hmm. for ourselves. You know, so us embracing the idea of self-care is now giving us the tools we need or the strength we need to say, OK, I need to advocate for myself. And that means advocate for myself in the healthcare industry because we're dying. Black mm-hmm. women are dying and no one's speaking up um, to advocate for ourselves in criminal justice because same thing. Nobody's speaking up for us. And in all the other areas of our lives. And when it comes to business, black women are doing it. Like, we are opening businesses and, you know, everything. But one thing I noticed that we aren't doing is focusing on our finances.
0: Yeah. What's, what's
1: that about? You know why? Because we still have this idea that, you know, we'll work hard and then eventually we'll get married and then he'll take care of us. <laughs> Sis... Advocate for yourself. <laughs> you <don't> right. <laughs> it's funny
0: because you say Let that and I'm like, to- I'm like, what's wrong with that? He's supposed to take care of us. <laughs> Let him
1: add to you. Let him add to your value. There's nothing wrong with having a provider. Yeah. But here's the thing about a provider. A provider is someone... Um, that is in addition to who you are. Mm-hmm. So if you are complete in yourself, even in your finances, then you're 100% when you come to this provider. And he can provide for you 100%. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. But if you come to him 75%, now he got to make up the 25%. And, and be the 100%. He can't be 125%. You see what Very I'm true. saying? Yeah. So you're going to lack something. That's why it's important for us to advocate for ourselves in every, every part of our lives, uh, including politics, all of that, like black women. That is where the real change is going to happen. We know that if we get into places of power, things change. And so we have to, you know, start advocating for mm-hmm.
0: ourselves. What is the, um, like, kind of like hot button issue that is like the one that you focus on?
1: Ooh, girl, I got several. Um, (laughs) Okay, so the number one. Oh, my God, this is a tie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let me see. That's a good question because, like, I I have three, actually. But I'll give you the number one that if somebody asked me today, like, what's my number one pet peeve? Then it would be, okay, it is black feminism. It is the Ooh. feminist movement. Okay. That is my number one issue.
0: What is it about? Because
1: the feminist movement itself has nothing to do with black women. <laughs> that is why I call myself a black feminist Yeah, and the reason that I call myself a black feminist some people say okay well a black feminist is the same as a woman it is um, but I use the term black feminist to prove a point it's yeah. a statement in itself mm-hmm. because if feminism was truly what it's supposed to be there would be no need for me to say I'm a black feminist right. You know, it's the same as us saying uh, black lives matter yeah. we shouldn't have to say that <laughs> we shouldn't have to say that but I have to say that because that there is a void and there is a lack so yes um, that is my number one issue and I'm, I've am i actually um, for the fall I'm actually on a speaking tour oh, where wow. I'm going to be you know presenting to these feminist organizations and letting them know like sis you're not an ally let me, let me teach you what mm-hmm. being an ally really is because you guys, the fact that we even have to have conversations about intersectionality is horrendous. Right. Because when it comes to black women, when black women go on the front lines and we talk about issues that affect women, we talk about issues that affect women. hmm That's it. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And we're all in. And as soon as there's an issue that affects women, but the majority of women that it affects is black women feminists go silent yeah and they don't say a word Mm -hmm. and i'm just like okay so please take that definition away because you're not a feminist a feminist is a person a person who is concerned about the rights and um and the livelihood of women
0: in general yeah and
1: unfortunately You're not. You're only concerned with the lives and rights of white women. Mm -hmm. It it has nothing to do with us. Or, you know, children who are being locked, immigrant children who are locked away. You're more concerned with them than you are with the black women that are dying um, uh, from uh, maternal mortality daily. But nobody's saying anything about that. You know what I'm saying? It's just like You pick and choose what you want to talk about. So that is the thing that ticks me off. And I am so ready to go in front of these organizations and really school them on what it means to really and truly be an ally. Stop telling me that you're an ally. Stop telling me you stand in solidarity when you're not ready to uh, make action. And then also, the women of color, I'm not down with that either. Yeah because what they do is sit on the sidelines while we do all the yelling and then as soon as change these happens are the first are changed, ones in line. they think they're like <laughs> oh yeah this is great you know I'm like what were you? Girl? What was you?
0: <laughs> For me not- I think um well I guess this kind of goes against my theory what you were just saying but I feel like somebody has to be twice marginalized in order to understand how like intersectionality works because you ha- you I guess like Kind of speaks to itself. You have to be intersectional. And it's like being black and a woman, being maybe like white and gay. Like you can think about like, well, that's only one marginalization by that. But like maybe like a, a white lesbian, white white woman lesbian, you know, like might understand like some of that. They, but Because
1: like, they, they still have this level of privilege, mm-hmm. you know, and like, you know, uh, uh, Malcolm X said, you know, the black woman is the most disrespected person. America, and that is so true. We are literally, you know, uh, you can take your your white lesbian, and she is still rockets away. Yeah, so like she
0: would be like once and the, twice marginalized, and then the other woman, like the black woman, would be three times marginalized. So it's like I guess you always like if you can understand how you're different than a straight woman, then you should understand like how a black woman is behind you who is a lesbian also.
1: Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. You know, um, it, it, this this is what I'm going to be taking to them. This is the conversation that we need to have. I mean, I used to be so angry about it, so upset about it. And then I stopped to think and I said, you know, the reason that they are that way is because that's pretty much all that they've ever really had to do. If you've always been privileged, if you've always had things you know, in your favor, quote unquote, and I'm saying in your favor, quote unquote, because women have, women have not yeah. always had things in yeah. their favor, but, um, you know, as a white woman, if, if I used to be very upset about it, um, and then I thought about it, it was like, you know, when you're privileged and you've always received a certain level of privilege, you're not going to be concerned about these other groups or how, they're not experiencing mm-hmm. the same privilege you are, especially when you have privilege, but you do understand that you have a certain level of privilege. Because, I mean, I'll be honest, like, white women do have a certain level yeah. of privilege. They don't have a full privilege. I get that. But they have a certain level of privilege. And for them, um, you know, if I try to get in their eye, in their perspective... They see it as, I'm not privileged. I, I'm having to struggle, you know, against this man. Boo, yeah. You got to struggle against the man. I got to struggle against you. I got to struggle against my black man. And then, here yeah. I am. So, this you know, you don't understand that. And I, I I thought about it and I said to myself, okay, someone has to teach it. Someone has to teach it. Because you, can, I can... Get upset about it, but that won't bring change. If I have the conversation and I bring the conversation to your door and I give you this information. Mm -hmm. Now, what you do with that information now from there on, you can't you can't act dumb and say I didn't know any better because now it's been brought to your doorstep. So I at least wanted to afford them the opportunity to like really hear it. Um, from a genuine way. I'm not even cutting any corners with them. I'm giving it to them raw. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to tell you, like, sis, uh, this why we don't like you. Like... <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. It's no shade, but this is, like, the real deal. Like, this is what we have to do. Because, like, even in making that comment, like, I have one of my, my keynotes is, um, no, you can't sit with us. And it talks about why black women deserve safe, space, safe spaces. And, you know, even I titled it that way because when you tell somebody, no, you can't sit with us, it hurts, right? And I, I titled it that way because, We, as black people, have had to kind of censor ourselves around white people so that we don't hurt their feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. I can't tell you how I feel about you and the disrespect that you're giving me when you interrupt my personal space. Yeah. We have never owned our own space. We have never owned our own spaces. We haven't um, owned our own names. We haven't owned our own bodies. Yeah. And... You just find it it's very interesting that white people believe that they can just interject a conversation. Like I this all spurred from Yeah, I was at a store and I was talking to my sister and we're having this in-depth conversation, and this white guy just goes into our conversation. And he's like all into the conversation. And you know, I'm tilting my body as to say, like, no, sure. that's sure, not okay. <laughs> and you know, and then like he continues on, and so I walked away. And then you know, my sister and I—we're on another hour. We're talking. Here he comes again. Oh, you girls are having way too much fun, and da da da. I'm like, why do they think that that's okay? Yeah, this space belongs to me. You don't have that right. Yeah, I you know? found that like... and to them. They feel like, oh, we're just being nice. No, you, and and, and you may be, you may think that what you're doing is I'm just being nice. But if you understood my culture, if you understood what I have had to experience, then you would understand that that's a violation of my personal space Mm -hmm. that is owed to me. That is my birthright. And you just took it like you've taken so many other things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I feel that also. I feel like especially, like, I'm realizing now about how, like, women have been um, programmed, I guess, to, like, move out of the way. And, like, what happens when you don't move out of the way and people, like, actually, like, bump into you or, like you're standing in the elevator and somebody like moves into your space and you don't move. And they're like, what are you doing? It's like, no, what are you doing? Like, exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I I was like, personal space is important. mm -hmm. You know, everybody should have the, the right to at least that. Yeah. To at least that. And, um, you know, for black people, I just feel like it's, it's so, um, it's just, it's been so perpetual with the abuse of our space. Like, you know, I didn't. Ha- I don't have my own history because of you. <laughs> you took that. Yeah. You took away my culture. Um, we had to create our own. Black Americans had to create their own culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you took away our names. You've taken away many of our kin. Um, you've taken away so very much from us. And then the one thing that I do have is personal space, and you still invite yourself yeah. into that without asking me. Without, you know, and it's, it. like I said, they feel like, oh, I'm just being nice. And you may be. Now, that is something that I call unconscious bias, that I, I will agree with unconscious bias on that. Yeah. That word, I really was like, they just making up stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> but that one, I will apply it to that situation because sometimes they're just being nice. Yeah. But because, like going back to what you said, intersectionality is, is necessary because you need to know what is attached to the person that you're you know, talking to, that you're interjecting. You need to know what's attached to that. And if you um, really are aware uh, and open to knowing the history of us, not the history that they just like to act like it never happened, and that's, a, that's another problem with white people is they sit there and try to act like it never happened. Don't do that because when you do that, you feel like it's okay to violate my personal space. And I'm sorry, I had to tell you, no, you can't sit with us, bye. Mm -hmm. No. I don't want you over here. And, you know, it's not to be mean, but it's me standing up for myself.
0: Yeah. And it's setting boundaries, which is, like, very healthy. It's, like, something that we all have to learn. Like, I guess even going back to, like, how we, like, um, one of the points I wanted to make earlier about, like, how we tell kids that they, like, can't. Express their feelings is like, who are your friends? And like, I had mm-hmm. somebody in my office yesterday talking about how apparently they have to invite like all the kids in the class to a birthday party if they're gonna have a birthday party. Like, they, they're uh, encouraged to invite all the kids in the class. It's like, no, like, don't tell your kids that you have to be around people that you don't like and that are toxic for you. Like, dangerous. that, doesn't,
1: that right. is dangerous. If someone is infiltrating your space, and see what happens is as an adult, that child will be okay with letting negative and toxic people into their lives because they feel like, oh, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Mm-hmm. Bump that. Hurt everybody's feelings. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. I think people, more people's feelings need to get hurt so you can get that tough skin that you need in this world. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, I mean, yeah, we already talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just feel like the world is full of pansies at this point. And I just, (laughs) like, you got to have some tough skin. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's the way of the world. Everybody's not going to like you. Right. Everybody is not. And that is okay if they don't. Like, I don't get upset at anything y'all's president talk about you know because i'm like it's so, he doesn't have to like me and mm-hmm. he's made it very clear that he doesn't at all and that he doesn't like some other people matter of fact i don't think he likes a lot of people um, <laughs> right? even
0: the this people is that very short at this him,
1: point and, and he likes them and he doesn't like you either <laughs> he's really an opportunist opportunist and i get it you know um and if he's moving in the, the 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 realm of an opportunist, he does that very well. Yeah. He takes advantage of every opportunity. The man has always said, he's a businessman and he does that very well.
0: The first Kardashian, you know? I'd say. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. So it's like, can I hate on him for being who he is? No, I can't. But I can hate on the people who expected something different. Mm-hmm. That means you did not accept him for who he was. Yeah, You wanted him to be what you wanted him to yeah, be. You, projected you can't want people mm-hmm. to do that. You just can't. You have to accept people for who they are. It helps you make better decisions on how you deal with them and how you work with them. So, yeah, honesty. Going back again, honesty. Just mm-hmm. being honest.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I have one more question to ask you before we wrap up. Um, How do you, this is like kind of like, I guess, out of left field, but how do you deal with like, I guess, the displacement from like being like stolen from Africa?
1: Oh, that's good. I'm so glad you asked me that. (laughs) Okay. So I used to be very sad about that. Mm -hmm. And so to a degree, There is, there will always be a part of us as black Americans that yearns for home. We are like foster children. Okay. But this is the beauty and this this is something that I'm also hoping, um, to kind of, uh, enforce amongst our community is this love for black American culture. Mm -hmm. I think because we are displaced, um, that we don't value what we've built here. Yeah. We, we're always reaching back and it's like, you know, like even with the Black Panther movie, you saw it. Like we're reaching back and we were so proud. Like, and then you had this, this commentary coming from africa is like oh well you know you guys are doing this wrong or you're doing that wrong why is she wearing that the she ain't supposed to be wearing that you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and it's like making fun of the fact that we're just reaching back because that's all we know but i was having a conversation with a guy and he said that um black americans had no culture and I was like, are you serious? He's okay. like, what do we have besides hip-hop? Yeah. I was like, dude, do you understand that? And this is the beauty of everything that we've gone through. Mm-hmm. And this is why I love black Americans. Um, With everything that was stolen from us, we came here and we created new things that have impacted this entire globe. Literally, Like... Everything we do has impacted the entire globe. I ain't talking about just the country. I'm talking about the globe, and it's it's like by I'm I'm not um, taking away from the influence that our that the motherland gave us because that's in our DNA. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking away from that. But what I am saying is, if you take a person away from everything that they knew, and leave them only with their spirit, leave them only with that, and they create something so great that it impacts the world, how powerful is that person? Yeah. And so for me, Black American history and Black Americans in general, the good, the bad, the indifferent, I love us. Because we are magical. Like, we are the example and epitome of the magic that is black magic. Like, seriously. Yeah. We are. Because we made something out of literally nothing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We didn't even own our bodies, and <laughs> you know?
1: Not at all.
0: When you said that, that was, like, really crazy to me. Like, we literally didn't even own our own bodies. Like, wow.
1: And look at us. Yeah. Look at us. Like, I am just, <laughs> like, I get so proud. yes. My mom taught me that very early. She was like, she would show us all the oppression. She taught us about everything, Mm -hmm. all the negative things that happened to us. And then when we would get sad, she would say, no, lift your head up. Lift your head up because look at where you are. Look at what you've done. So whenever you're dealing with anything and you're going through anything that you think you cannot overcome, think about what you have already overcome. Yeah. Yeah. We are a people of perseverance. We are a people of resilience. And I love us. I just love us. Yeah. I mean.
0: Awesome. <laughs> well, um, it is time to wrap up, but I've enjoyed this conversation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last question that I have, <laughs> promise, um, is do you have any questions for me?
1: Um, well, what made you start this show?
0: talking to people honestly um I used to live um outside of DC so I would like sit down at happy hour like waiting for the traffic to pass or just like a long day or anything and I would sit down I would like sit next to someone and we end up having like a conversation and like I realized like I was saying earlier like just how much you learn just by talking to people and how important it is just to like have a conversation like a real like and you know like in-person conversation right. with the people that are around you. And yeah, so that's basically like what started the podcast.
1: Okay. And what's the, what's the most poignant thing that you've learned from poignant. one of your um, interviews?
0: Um, that's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is like the 40th episode. So Oh wow. yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I really can't say that it's like one thing. Because, like, I don't know, I feel like I have to, like, listen to the episodes, like, to get there. I'm definitely going to do, like, an anniversary episode, like, where I talk about, you know, like, this is, like, this is the thing that you, like, need to learn from this podcast. But for right now, I think it's just been, like, tolerance about how much people are the same and how much we would learn if there was more tolerance in the world. Um, I think that the world is really polarized, but I don't know. It's like weird, hard to say this because I'm like trying to like put it together right now. But um, I think that like people just need to open up and people need to be more tolerant. And I don't think that tolerant is the right word because you shouldn't have to like tolerate someone's race or sexuality or gender. So I just think that like, this is a mumble jumble of words, but, but it's a like, podcast because you can I edit it. But like, I yeah, it's like saying. I've learned Everything. that like people just need to be heard when they're speaking mm-hmm. and about also like, I guess, like looking back at podcasts and editing them and like saying something and not realizing that I didn't realize what the person was actually saying. So I guess this mm-hmm. made me even like a better listener about like what people are saying just like in general too. So yeah, sorry for that like mumble jumble of stuff, but yeah, I've, I've learned a couple things.
1: <laughs> well, that's always great.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any other questions?
1: <laughs> oh, so what outside of nice to meet you podcast, what has it spurred as far as, um, our are, are Are there any events that you host? Is there anything in the community that you're doing that has been spurred or spawned off of doing this podcast?
0: Um, I wouldn't say, like, specifically off of doing this podcast, but I've um, definitely—well, some parts, because, like, I have to be accountable— I'm, like, trying to get back into old hobbies, I would say, like, um, photography, and then I want to get back into, like, knitting and crocheting and everything, Um, but also, I just moved to D.C. I just bought a house here, um, like, about six months ago. (laughs) Um, So, like, going to the, like, first community meeting, like, getting involved with, like, what's going on in my community and, like, volunteering more and, like, making sure that I hold myself accountable to these things, I think have been, like um things that have been spurred by the co- podcast like realizing that I guess you were kind of putting saying this earlier is like realizing that you're responsible for the world that's around you. So, yeah, I would say that some things that have like been started a catalyst I guess, yeah.
1: All right, this is my last question. So, what does community mean to you?
0: Community. Um that's tough to define because of social media. Um, cause, because it could mean, like, your Twitter community, which is, like, for me, like, some people that I've met on Twitter but also people from high school, my friends, people I know from, like, literally everywhere, or, like, the community I live in. So I think it's, like, very subjective about, like, what community and, like, because the world is, like, you know, like, globalization. It's kind of, like, the world is your community, but I guess the proximity is what really makes someone a part of your community. It's, like, I guess, huh, working definition, um, A community is someone that you can reach out to directly. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll go with that. (laughs) Okay. I believe
1: community (laughs) is what we make it. Yeah. (laughs) I do believe community is what, because I've met people literally on social media and we are like connected. Yeah. And I remember I went to Houston. I had met this girl on periscope we we're like i used to do these uh weekly periscopes actually they ended up being like daily and <laughs> i had this community on periscope yeah. and the majority of them were from houston and i went to houston for this event and we all met up and it was like we had known each other for years yeah. and um They were there and they were so, so supportive. And to this day, we still talk and we still keep in in contact. And so I feel like, you know, I'm always trying to build community. Um, And I think it's in the, again, uh, authentic relationships Mm -hmm. that we have with one another. Uh, But I don't think because also with social media... We don't necessarily have as many authentic relationships. That is true. Um, although we can use social media to make authentic relationships, I don't think everyone's taking advantage of that platform, which goes back to, again, when you recognize that you have a platform, yeah, how are you going to utilize it? You know, yeah. and... and I don't think people understand the power behind this. this little cell phone. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, they just don't. I don't think they get
0: it. I think there would be a lot more change if um, if we knew that. Mm-hmm. And I think, just to bring to that point, I think as social media has given us a way to be, like, more honest with each other, it's also given us so many ways to lie. And, like, sucks to say about people, but people are as honest as you keep them. Yeah. So if you can lie, if you have this much room, then, you know, like, well, I mean, I'll take that much room minus an inch, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a give and take, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: It's a give and take. Yeah. But, but that's all I
0: had, girl. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, actually, okay, I want to add to one of the questions that you asked about, like, what okay. this podcast has, like, I guess, been a catalyst for. And I think that has been a catalyst for, like, being more authentic, Like, I feel like since I started the podcast, I'm not sure if it's, like, just the point that I am in my life or because of the podcast. I feel like it's a lot harder to lie. I want to say that I don't lie, but that would be a lie. So, like, you know, like, we're humans. Like, um, but I think that it spurred, like, just me. Like, when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm holding myself accountable. It's helped Other people also hold themselves accountable. Like when they listen back to the episode, like, oh man, I did say I was going to do that. So I would say that like, that's like also one more thing, but yeah. Thank you for this conversation. I've had a great time.
1: Me too. Thank you. (laughs) It was so cool.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Um, so do you have any social media or anything that you'd like to plug here?
1: Yes, um, you can find me on social media at Isis underscore Thomas. That's I-S-I-S underscore Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S. And then um, I Hear That Girl is on all social media platforms mm-hmm. at I Hear That Girl. Okay. So you can find um, the website and all of that good stuff um, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at I Hear That Girl.
0: Okay. Cool. And do you have any projects that you're working on that you want to let everyone know about?
1: Okay. So next month, actually, on Labor Day weekend, we are hosting the Dope Black Chick Picnic, which is this picnic where I just want to have sisters come out and celebrate their dopeness and when i talk about dopeness i believe everybody's unique personality and their quirkiness and all of that is what makes us dope Mm -hmm. and so i just really want people to embrace that thing about you um and so at the picnic your picnic space is to represent your unique qualities your dopeness and so um yeah that's coming up and then um Following that will be the kickoff for our fall speaker series where I'll be going to a lot of these feminist organizations and having the conversation. Okay. So if you are a feminist organization and you'd like to um, have me there, you can then um, find us on IHearThatGirl.com. Um, and then in January, we do a yearly um, Her Story Brunch. Um, and that brunch is uh, an opportunity for women to see how powerful their voices are and share their stories in the attempts and sole purpose to empower and inspire someone else in attendance. So, yeah, okay. those are my. That sounds awesome.
0: That sounds like a very busy fall. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I'm hoping. I'm
1: hoping it's hoping to <laughs> be very very busy. So that is what we're manifesting. Okay. Um, this fall, yeah,
0: cool. All right. Well, thank you again. If you guys would like to follow the podcast, you can do that on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, or just something that you want to share, you can send those emails to ntmypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next week.